I have to get bored first, and then I get to the thoughts that actually need to be said. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. If you're new to the podcast, I have been doing this forever or since 2013, pre-serial, before there were a lot of podcasts. And it used to be a super wellness-focused podcast. And now I talk about wellness because it's something that interests me, but I also talk to people who maybe wellness isn't their priority, but I talk about how self-care and wellness help them. And really, I just talk to fascinating, creative people like today's guest, Emily Kenny. I loved getting to meet her when she was here in New York promoting her brand new album, Oh Jonathan, which is amazing and out now. She's great. We talk about moving from a small town. She, like me, is from the Midwest. We talk about family and relationships, music, her songwriting practice. We talk about creativity, breakups. We talk about writing in general. And she has this great part of this conversation where she talks about boredom being something that we need for creativity. And I loved that part. We also talk about her acting career. You might know her as Beth Green in her role on AMC's horror series, The Walking Dead. And she's also appeared as an actress in so many other things. She's been in Masters of Sex, The CW's The Flash. She's done so many different series, and she's a tremendous actor. She was in Spring Awakening, which I think I saw her in on Broadway when I saw Spring Awakening, which we talked about in this episode. Anyway, she's a delight. I loved getting to meet her, and I want to get to this episode as quickly as possible. But I just have a couple quick announcements for you guys. First of all, there are only a couple episodes left until... We're going to take a break. We're going to end for the season. But it's the fall, and I feel like that's a great time. It feels more like a new year to me than the actual new year in the fall. Is anyone else like that? It feels like school starting again just really puts the end on one season and starts another season. So this week, there's a brand new episode. Obviously, you're listening to it right now. And then next week, I'm going to do a solo episode. And then we have an episode with DJ Tasha Blank, which is going to be great. And then we're going to take a break. So just wanted to, you know, give you the rundown of what's going on with the podcast. And again, if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. This is my favorite thing I've ever done. I now help other people start podcasts. I have a workshop called Let a Podcast Out, which is going to be coming out again in October. We just finished the first round, the summer round, and there's a contest associated with the course where everyone who goes through it, they do the modules and they also get all these expert interviews from other podcasters. And then at the end, they have the ability to submit to me a finished episode. And then I'm going to choose one that's going to air on this podcast channel station. I don't know. Anyway, 
I'm so excited to go through the entries. They've all been coming in and I just can't wait to listen to all of these cool podcasts. But before we get into the episode, I just want to go back to a couple episodes ago. I had Kat on the podcast and that episode has gotten so much great feedback, shared so many different times. In it, I talk about the fact that alongside doing this podcast and writing my book, I had a book come out a bunch of years ago and doing all the things I do on the internet. I've had a full-time job up to literally today, the day I'm recording this. Today is my last day of my full-time job. For six years, I've worked at a company and it's been great. I've found that for all of my creative notes to be hit, I needed to do things outside of that job. And that job gave me the freedom to be able to support my other work, which I'm so grateful for. But in that episode, I shared that at first I had some shame around that or like I didn't really want to talk about it, not because I was embarrassed, but because I just didn't really know what to say. And in that episode with Kat, she articulates so beautifully how she does everything that she does because she also has a podcast and does so many things outside of her full-time job. And she talks about, we had a dialogue about how this works and that not enough people do talk about this. And I think that really hit a note with you guys. Hit a nail? I'm not sure what the expression is, but basically everyone seemed to really resonate with that. And I'm so glad that we had that conversation. So I'll link to that episode in the show notes. We talk about a bunch in that episode, not just that particular topic. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for your feedback on that episode and on all the episodes. I'm so grateful that you guys listen. And one last quick announcement before we get to the show, two opportunities for us to hang out in person. If you're in New York City, I am doing an event with Kelsey J. Patel. She's a Reiki healer and a speaker and a yoga teacher. She's so cool. And we met at the Good Fest for the first time when I was hosting the Good Fest in Philly and decided to do a mini East Coast tour together. She lives in LA, but she's going to be here. So we're doing an event in New York City with meditation, yoga, and Reiki, and treats. And I'm going to be talking about journaling for a little bit. That's going to be on September 19th. And then we're going to DC. I've never been to DC, but I know a lot of people listen to the podcast in DC. So I'm going to be there doing an event with Kelsey on September 21st. So Come to the event, tell me what I should do while I'm in DC, and I hope to see you guys in those cities at those events. Links will be in the show notes to sign up and get more information. And links to everything that we talk about. Emily recommends some great books, obviously her album, which you should definitely listen to, Oh Jonathan, it's so good. And everything we mention is in the show notes. You can click on your phone. Share this episode with a friend if you liked it, and I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. This episode is made possible in part by Organifi. Organifi is a company I love. It's founded by this person named Drew, who I talked to a couple weeks ago. He's also from the Midwest, just like today's guest and I. And they make the best, most high quality, 
superfood green juice powders. There's a green powder, actually there's a red powder, and there's even a gold powder, which is a turmeric product, which I love having at night with some macadamia nut milk. It has some cinnamon in it. It's anti-inflammatory because of the turmeric, and there's so many health benefits in that powder. And the red powder, it has beets and it tastes delicious that one might be my favorite and of course i love their green juice powder it's super cost effective it ends up being about two to three dollars per juice which is way less than a juice you would buy in the street and i love taking their probiotics they've been amazing for my digestive health and i think you guys would love them too try out organifi it supports the podcast and a really great company and honestly their products are just really great they don't have a ton of products but the ones that they do have are stellar. So they are Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. That's Organifi with an I, dot com and use the code let it out because that will give you 20% off your order. So again, the code is let it out. That's Organifi for 20% off your order. I've been pondering social media and technology and my relationship to it for a while. And it's really come up to the surface recently, which is why I've been talking to every guest that comes on the podcast about this conversation. And that's why I love Lil Space, which is supporting today's episode of the podcast. It's an app that builds community around taking breaks from our phones so we can feel connected even when we're disconnected. I love using this app. I actually haven't really been on Instagram all week and it's it's kind of felt amazing. It helps you create breaks and bad phone habits and create some more healthy ones at the same time. So all you do is you download this app that's completely free and it tracks your time unplugged. You can do it in a big group. And what's cool is that we are doing a group together and Lil Space is going to donate money for every hour we spend unplugged. They're donating to my favorite organization, Real Girl. So check out Lil Space, download the app. I'm so grateful for their support of the podcast and honestly, that this app exists that is so helpful to me. So let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? What were you like as a kid? And did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? So I was born in Nebraska and grew up in lots of kind of different little small towns. I didn't live in Nebraska the whole time I was growing up, but that was sort of like the main place. Like my parents were from... North Bend, Nebraska. So we lived there some of the time. And then mostly I went to school, like middle school, high school in Wayne, Nebraska. So the Midwest and small farm towns is kind of where I grew up. I'm from the Midwest too. Yeah. (laughs) Where are you from? I'm from Michigan. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, I pretty much knew I wanted to do singing and acting since I was really little. I would say singing was sort of the start because people would say... I mean, I can remember even as early as like four years old, you know, the preschool teacher telling my parents like, oh, she has a good voice. She always sings, you know, and, and I just had such an interest. Like I would sit in front of the record player and play, my parents had this Carpenter's record and I would just play over and over and over again. Or like I'd watch Sound of Music, I'd learn all the songs, you know, so it was very much like music and singing. Yeah. And then eventually... As a kid still, I mean, I I think maybe I was like seven or eight. I kind of started to also go like, you know, I'd see my girl or like, I remember Curly Sue, watching Curly Sue and then acting out the scenes 
later. So it would kind of like switch. Like I remember people saying like, oh, I love when you sing because I can hear the words. And I remember that sticking with me and being like, oh, what is the thing I'm trying to get to? You know, and it was, I mean, just even as a kid, I was like, what's the thing that I'm trying to be? And I knew it was something to do with being on TV, Mm -hmm. acting and singing, performing, telling stories. Yeah. And sort of connecting. I knew with music, it's like, I remember telling my parents, like, I never wanted to, I never sang love songs, like, for talent shows. They'd be like, oh, you sing this song so well. You know, it'd be some, like, Mariah Carey song. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, oh, no, I have to sing Hero because that's one I can relate to. Like, somehow relating to it was important to me. Yeah. Like, I hate it. I didn't sing any love songs growing up unless I had had, like, a boyfriend or something. Yeah. So were your parents musical? Are they musical? Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have two sisters. My parents aren't necessarily musical. My dad's like a, like when he sings to the radio, pretty good singer, but they are both music fans. Like we, we went to shows all the time. We went to the Beach Boys, Chicago. I mean, my dad is like a huge Eagles fan. We just talked about music a lot and we listened to it and more music. We were like music fans as kids, you know? Yeah. Are you close with your siblings? What was your childhood like in uh, Nebraska? Were yeah. you performing? You said you did talent shows. Were you doing musical theater? Were you acting when you were younger too? Yeah, more talent shows and singing. I mean, I think originally my idea was, oh, I want to be like a pop singer. Like I loved all that stuff. You know, I loved, like I said, I loved like Mariah Carey. I loved Joni Mitchell. I loved female singers. I was like, oh, that I saw myself in that, you know? But then it did start to shift where I was like, oh, but now I'm watching My Girl and I want to play that part. And I want to, you know, like now I'm watching Kids Incorporated and I want to be. So I started to kind of lean over to the theater side. And I did. I did musical theater when I was, you know, in high school and junior high. And then when I first went to my first year of college, I was a music major. And then I started being like, oh, but the theater department seems to be where I connect, you know, that's my strong thing. Yeah. Where I felt the strongest. So I, and I loved being in rehearsal every night. So I switched my major to theater. So I kind of like started to go that way. It's funny. You really knew as a kid what exactly you wanted to do. And it kind of, yeah, you kind of veered away from it and then got, now that's exactly what you're doing, which is so Cool. Yeah, it's funny. In some ways, I feel like acting, like I'll tell people, it's been like an anchor in my life. Like as much as acting, like the most like up and down career path to choose, it's been like, where do I want to live? Well, I want to live somewhere where I want to do, can do acting and music. What's the best city for that? That would be, to me, it was like New York City because they had theater too. And so, okay, I'll move to New York City. It wasn't because I was like, oh my God, I have to live in New York City someday. It was because right. it was all based on that. Yeah. So it became this sort of like guide to what I do next. Yeah. It's interesting. So you grew up in Nebraska where you probably, you know, weren't not like growing up in New York or LA where you're around music and entertainment, you know, in the way that, that we are here. But it's great that you had those expanders and people that you followed and your parents being so into music or or is your family still in Nebraska now? My parents live in Colorado, but it's very similar. Like they've moved around quite a bit, but it's always the same because my dad is a sells seed and fertilizer to farmers. So it's always very like rural community. So it's, even though it's Colorado, it's like little tiny town kind of in the middle of, you know, far off from about two hours from Denver, two hours from Colorado Springs, Eastern Colorado. Do you see your family often? It really varies depending on my schedule. 
I don't see them as much. My little sister lived in LA for a short time studying law school at UCLA. And so then I saw them more because since there were two of us, yeah. it was more. But when I lived in New York, I didn't see them very much. Where do you fall in the... I'm the middle. Okay. Yeah. What about you? I'm the only. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Only child. So so you wanted to be a performer as yeah. a kid. You're, you're doing musical theater in high school. And then you come to New York to go to NYU. And that's where you changed your major. Is that where you went to school? Well, so I actually started out school in Nebraska Wesleyan. Okay. And then I applied to this program that would basically let you sort of, it was almost like a study abroad, but you're only going to New York City. But for me from Nebraska, that was like, (laughs) but basically they pretty much would like let you, they'd bring in, it's hard to explain, they like bring in students from other acting programs to study with their acting program for one semester. It was I forget what it was called, like spring at Tish or whatever. I think it was kind of a way to replace, like a lot of people leave school after the first year. Yeah. So you would study with their juniors or seniors mm. with the option of transferring. But you could just do one semester. And you'd only, like I would, I think the reason I could do it was because I was like, I had scholarships to Wesleyan and it sort of like covered everything because you were just one semester. Yeah. So that's what I did. And I studied at Tish for one semester. And while I was there, I started going to open calls. Okay. And that's how I got like my first real professional acting job that was like equity. And, but it was at Wesleyan where I kind of like veered from the, mm-hmm. from the music. And then while I studied at NYU, I was just studying theater. I, I was in uh, Playwrights Horizon studio. So what was that first, you know, you did you grow up coming to New York often? Had no, you been I, here before? No, I had never been here. Wow. And my parents really didn't go to New York yeah. City at all. So I remember my grandpa telling some story about when he was in New York, like either with the military or whatever, like about this cab driving over someone's foot and like how New Yorkers aren't oh mean God. at all. Or like telling some kind of like crazy <laughs> story. Like that was my picture of like in New York. It was definitely like a shock for me. Yeah. I remember getting a cold and feeling like the cold never went away. <laughs> and like, it was such a change. But like anything where you just stick with it, now I feel the opposite. Like at first I didn't necessarily like the city. I was like, but I'm here to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And now I love New York City. I love it. And... It started to conquer it and sort of stick with it in a certain way. Sort of made me feel powerful, you know? I think it matures you quickly moving here. I feel like I grew up a lot in moving here. Yeah, you grow up a lot. There's like constant things to Mm -hmm. around you to deal with and new ways of doing things and Yeah. So you were you were pretty young. You were what? I was nineteen. Nineteen. So then did you just stay after that semester and stay in New York because you were working Mm -hmm. and acting? Or did you go back? No, I, I did go back. I, I actually, so I got the job. Wasn't going to stay at NYU because I just couldn't make it happen. But yeah, I'd gotten this theater job, did the theater job. At the end of it, I was super broke. I mean, theater doesn't pay a ton. And I was living in an apartment with two other girls, a studio apartment. So oh we would God. actually like share beds. Like we would just alternate who got the bed themselves or who wasn't sleeping there that night or whatever. Oh so gosh. it wasn't like the most comfortable situation. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? I have no agent. I'm super broke. So then I actually moved back to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I started working at a coffee shop, like at the hospital and another coffee shop and was taking more classes. And I just saved my money. And then about less than a year later, I moved back for good that time. 
So that time when you come back to New York, yeah. you you've been here before, yeah, you know before. a little bit, you've saved up some money. Mm-hmm. What was what was that time like? Is that when you booked Spring Awakening? I mean, it was a while till I booked Spring okay. Awakening. So, <laughs> yeah. So what I did was I, yeah, I mean, I moved here, found an apartment, but immediately was going on auditions. I remember the very next morning going to an auditions for Kids Bop or something. So I pretty much started working at this coffee shop called Gimme Coffee in Brooklyn and got an apartment a few blocks away from there with my friend Kelly. And it was expensive and sketchy, but it worked. And then I just started going to auditions and eventually the relationships I made with casting directors led me to my commercial agent and eventually a legit agent, which is for like theater and TV. So I would just get further enough along in the audition process where they started going like, oh, you need an agent, you know? So then I was able to get one. But I would get shows like off-Broadway shows that were really fun. And then eventually I got this show called Iphigenia, which was off-Broadway. And then I did Spring Awakening. When I read today that you were in Spring Awakening in 2008, I was thinking back, I came here my senior year of high school to see Spring Awakening in oh, 2008. Wow. So I, I'm, you probably I probably me. saw you. You were great. Probably. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I loved fun. that show. What was that experience like being in that show? I mean, it was great for me at that time because I had never done eight shows a week like that. Well, I mean, I had done like one regional theater show that was more like six shows a week, but it was so great. I learned so much about my voice and that kind of performance schedule. I think it was also encouraged. It was one of my first, I mean, it was my first Broadway show. So I think anytime you get something like that, you go, oh, I must belong here. Of course. You know, I must be good enough. And I think even now still, I have that where I go like, oh, am I good enough? I'm singing, you know? (laughs) So it was a great ego boost. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we all need kind of those things that pat you on the back from the universe being like, okay, keep going. This is, this is okay. You're okay. Because, yeah. and it's great for people to hear you say that, you know, obviously you've had so much success and you're doing so many things. And, you know, even for me, like there has been times when I'm like, should I, should I even keep going with the podcast? I don't know if yeah. I'm good enough for this. And then you getting that one, you know, review or yeah. there's certain, there's certain markers that maybe not everyone needs, but I think, you know, when your self-worth maybe doesn't match what you're manifesting, it's good to have those things that kind of legitimize where you are and that can be helpful. And was being on Broadway something you'd wanted since you were a kid? I think it definitely, I don't know if it was something that I thought about as a kid because since I grew up in Nebraska, it wasn't like we went to theater. I remember the first theater show I saw was a church theater show in Norfolk, Nebraska that I took a van with a bunch of other people to go see. And I remember thinking it was awesome, but that was my exposure. It was a church musical theater show, um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so I'd never been to Broadway shows, but I knew as an actor, like after having studied theater and being exposed to like, I remember Steppenwolf Theater Company. We'd always read about that in theater class and it'd be like, so I knew that certain things to me made me feel like oh yes, this is the right thing. Like, yeah, I'm an actor. Like I, and like, I think it also kind of legitimized, you know, even to like my family, not that I was looking for any sort of approval from them at at this point at all, but I, but I think it was sort of like, oh, I'm a working actor on Broadway. And I think if you tell people that it is sort of like a, 
thing. But also, I was just proud to be part of the show. I mean, I just like working. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny too. It's like a. I think our parents, you know, want yeah. in our family, like they want us to be safe if we're happy. And sometimes yes. like when I got my book deal, my mom was like, what's that blog, a podcast? Like she didn't really understand what that was. But yeah. when she could go into Barnes and Noble and be like, oh, my kid made that. Like yes, it was something, something that she was able to like tangibly be like, oh, okay. Like I understand why she yeah, doesn't it's easier have like, to, like explain. Yeah. Like, because before that it was just sort of like, oh yeah, I'm going to these auditions I find in the newspaper, but I did get a callback. So that means I'm on the right path. And like, is it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> unclear. You're working at totally. this like, coffee shop and then and also it was a moment when well I had a full-time job so like I didn't have another job so that was quite nice yeah. to be like full-time an actor mm-hmm. um which was something I didn't have before yeah so you do that how long was it of a run was that for you I think it was around nine months it wasn't a full year okay yeah and then you soon after that booked the walking dead and started working in tv there was quite a bit before that okay more theater (laughs) I'm going kind of quickly I mean those are the big ones people yeah so yeah after that I was auditioning again I ended up going on tour for a year which was quite a big it was a big one for me before Walking Dead was this show called August Osage County. It's just a great play. And I went with the Broadway production on like a whole national tour. Then when I got back, I mean, and and I was doing like guest stars, like I was doing a lot of like Law and Order or like I did a little, like where you just do like one episode of something, you know, this show, The Big C, I think I did like three episodes of or And then eventually, I think it was the summer after that tour. So I like got back and then later that summer booked Walking Dead. Was working in TV something on your radar then that you were really wanting or was it, did it kind of fall into Um, place? It just kind of started happening gradually. Like I started getting theater gigs and then it'd be like, oh, you got a guest star. And then, and at first I felt because I, at this point I had had some theater training and I felt more confident in my theater skills and like TV to me was a little bit more I wanted to do a lot of TV. Like that was definitely a thing I remember writing down. Like, oh, I want to be like a series regular. I want to be cool, a regular character on a TV show. And I remembered looking back in journals and being like, oh, that's something I wrote down, yeah. you know, which that's is really crazy. Cool. Yeah, But it was intimidating to me at first just because there were different challenges than theater. A different skill set, yeah. There's a little bit different skill set. It's like running. Yeah. Like long distance running is is still running, but it's quite a bit different than sprinting. Right. They both require kind of like a little bit different perspective. Mm-hmm. And so like with acting, doing a show each night for a live audience is different than shooting one scene of the big picture with lots of different people, you know, eating their soup on their <laughs> cell phone and a camera in your Touching face, you, you know, yeah. is a much different environment than like a theater or dark where yeah. everyone's, you know, and a camera close is much different than, you know, an audience. Mm-hmm. So like you, you do direct your performance a bit differently. Yeah. I, I think. Or yeah. I do. yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to. So throughout that time, are you writing music? Are you still, you know, ever since you're a little girl, you wanted to be doing music and now yeah. you're like more, I'm assuming very focused on acting yeah. during those years. Were you doing music on the side? I was. And music is something for me, like I said, when I was little, all my family was music fans and I continued to be a music fan. Like when I moved to New York city and I was writing music all through college and we would have like these theater talent shows. I'd play the songs I wrote, stuff like that. But when I moved to New York city, when I wasn't going to auditions and I wasn't working at a coffee shop, it'd be like, Oh, what am I going to do tonight? 
I wouldn't necessarily go out to like bars, but I would go to music clubs. And it's how I met a lot of my first really good friends. And so they'd end up saying like, hey, you want to sing backup? So I sang backup for a lot of cool bands or my friend Dave Beck. I used to always sing backup for him. So that's how I started kind of in the music scene. It was almost more of like my past, like my hobby. Yeah. Because acting now had become my job. Right, right. But when I started working on Spring Awakening, I did meet a lot of actors who were also songwriters. You know, like Lauren Pritchard. I don't know if she is, but she also has a music project. Johnny Gallagher Jr. is someone I used to watch at Rockward all the time. He still does shows. He's a great songwriter. And I think it started like, you that know, the like an wheels in my for you that- Yeah, that I was like, well, that's something else that I do. Why don't I do shows yeah. around New York City? And I had a couple of friends definitely going, you should do that. You know, like I had my friend Conrad, who I met doing Spring Awakening, he was the first one to say to me, your songs are really good. Like you should do a show, not sing backup. And he actually produced my first, my first EP. Mm, So cool. Yeah. So what was your time working, you know, in, in TV? Mm -hmm. Like what was, you know, working on the, the walking dead? You're, are you still, did you have to move to LA for that? Or it shot in Atlanta. Okay. So not the, the first year they would just fly me back and forth all the time from New York to Atlanta. I'd stay in a hotel. And then third, the season three, four, and five, I started staying down there. So I would like come back in between seasons or maybe if I had like two episodes off, I would come come back up. But so I was spending a lot of time in Atlanta. And at that time, I was writing a lot of music because I was spending a lot of time by myself. Well, I'd hung out, hang out with the cast, but there's a lot of time waiting. I think, yeah. you know, as an actor, you spend a lot of time waiting for your turn. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's kind of where you began a lot of your music career in writing? Yeah. I kind of always was doing it. So I had like a lot of poems and, but I guess once Blue Toothbrush came out and then once I, I did feel like an urgency to record a lot of the songs that I was singing in shows. Cause that, that EP was only five songs. And I remember meeting my friend Caleb who produced my next one and we were talking about budget and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. Because it is, it is, it's quite expensive to record yeah. if you want to do it a certain way. Yeah. Or it can be. It can be less. You know, there's lots of options. But the way that I wanted to do it. It was an I, investment. was a bit of an investment. So I remember it's sort of being a change in my head where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do this like for real in a certain way. Yeah. You know? And I remember, this sounds crazy, but I actually we were talking about the budget and then I got a call to do a convention for Walking Dead. This was one of the first times I ever got asked to do like these comic book conventions and they were going to like pay me the same amount that it was going to cost to do that. And I was like, I think this is a sign oh, perfect. that I should do it. Yes. I was going like, oh, I've never spent that kind of money before right. on my music. And you would think like, oh, that wouldn't be a big, d- but I'm just like, I'm from Nebraska. Like, and of course, gr- yeah. you know, being in New York, like you're so and being an artist, you know you have big years and years where you'd make no money. Totally. So even though I was on a TV show, I was like going like, yeah, but who knows when this TV show is going to come around again. Anyway, so that kind of like, and as soon as you invest money into something, it becomes it becomes mm-hmm. a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. And also, I did have this knowledge that I knew that in season three, my character was going to be singing. I knew there'd be a chance for an audience. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you were building a platform. I was building a platform and it made it worth it to me to see if anybody wanted to listen. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you were kind of like, I need to get this ready now so it's available yeah. for people. Yeah, I'm going to have eyes on me. So that when people look up, if they watch Walking Dead and they look up, they're not getting that old music. They're getting this yeah. new fresh music. Yeah. So that was kind of during the show. And then yeah. when the show ended, were you were you ready to focus full time on music? And, you know, now yeah. you have an album coming out and kind of take us up to the present of, did you have a moment when you're like, I'm going to kind of, your day job essentially was acting. Were you going to focus on yeah. music? Was that a hard choice? Yeah. I mean, it's always been a hard choice for me, like to spend what's the better use of my time. Mm-hmm. But I do truly like both. And I I want to do what I'm best at. You know what I mean? So there were a lot of opportunities coming for acting as well as music opportunities. So that was something when I first got done with Walking Dead, I was negotiating. It was like, okay, well, I'll go on tour. But then I also wanted to do, like I worked on the show Masters of Sex or like I was still auditioning for a lot of cool projects. So I've sort of been just taking it bit by bit with no sort of overall, like taking it more as like projects. Oh, this TV show. Yes. I want to be involved with this TV show. So that's where I'm going to focus my time. doesn't mean I'm not writing or working on music. Mm-hmm. And then now this album kind of coincided with the end of, I was working on this show for Netflix. Well, I have a few days left of shooting, but it sort of worked out to like place a tour and release album that I had been working on in this time period. So it's more like projects to me rather than like an overall, like, oh, I want to be a huge pop star or I want to be the best actor of all time. You know what I mean? It's more of like, where am I focusing right now? Yeah. So that's kind of the way, I don't know if that's like the best way, (laughs) but it's what works for me so that I, because I think somewhere along there, I did realize music needed to be part of my career. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your writing process and what was the writing process for this album? What are you, tell us about this album and how you feel about it and what you're excited about and how long is the tour? Tell me everything. Oh, okay. (laughs) So the tour starts September 24th and it goes for like two months. So it'll be a long 40 cities. So that'll be really fun. This album, so I haven't released an album actually since This Is War, which was three years ago. And this one I took a lot more time with. I met with lots of producers, tried out different people. I left my management company that I had been with since Expired Love. So probably like I'd been with them for like three years with music, tried out different managers. And then eventually, and was getting like a lot of feedback and notes because I was like, okay, I really want to get better. I want my next album to be better. So I was sending it around, met with labels, doing just a lot of, I would do co-writes. And then eventually I started to like push all of that away. (laughs) I sometimes feel like you have to try everything and then throw it all and then throw it all away. Yeah. (laughs) And then go, okay, but what do I actually need from all that? And I was actually working on a whole other album that was going to be about like identity. I mean, I might still do that album, but I wrote last summer this song, Mermaid Song, and that sort of became the catalyst for Oh Jonathan because I loved the way that it sounded and I felt very motivated to get the ball rolling and to not wait for a label, to not wait for more feedback, to not wait for the right manager necessarily, you know? Yeah. And then when I was really looking at it and the message of that song and which songs that I liked the best. And when I really would like talk with Ben, who became kind of my partner in this, Ben Greenspan, he's a producer. We were like, oh yeah, it should be called O'Jona. It was just like very easy. It's like once we were like, this is the sound, this is the vibe, 
no one else's notes matter anymore. Like, thank you. <laughs> some yeah. of them we'll keep, some of them we won't. You know what I mean? I stopped sort of like getting feedback from anyone but Ben. And the best songs were kind of around this subject matter and this, it was going to be an EP, Oh Jonathan. And then we were just realizing how much material had to do with this story. Mm. Can you talk about the story? And Yeah. So if you listen to the album from beginning to end, it definitely like chronicles um, kind of an off and on relationship that was probably like four years, but it was that off and on. And it was, the idea is like the reason it's named Oh Jonathan is there's a line in the song the song Jonathan that says, I'll never light the world the same without windy whispers of his name. Oh, Jonathan. And I think the idea is that like, sometimes you meet someone and the things that they say stick in your brain and it changes how you see the world. That makes me want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning that you couldn't sing things that weren't personal to you when you were a kid. So these songs sound like they're really personal. Yeah. What is your writing process for that? Are you constantly writing, you know, little do lines come to you and little fragments and you write them in your phone or are you journaling? What is kind of your process of catching inspiration as it comes to you? Well, all the songs on this record I wrote by myself. So I'll do writing sessions and things like that. But I do tend to find the ones I feel similar to when I was a kid that I feel motivated to sing are the ones that I ended up writing by myself because I didn't like for me, a big part of the satisfaction of writing a song and singing it is that I get to tell like my side of the story. (laughs) I get to tell like my feelings. So when you collaborate with someone, of course, you know, their feelings matter too. And maybe they want a different word, you know, (laughs) or maybe they want to portray something else. And like, for some reason, when it comes to words and melody, I'm just protective of them if I'm going to sing them, you know, mm-hmm. where maybe with like the instrumentation, I can collab. I'm a little bit better of a sharing and collaborating, you know, but so these songs mostly were, yeah, songs I either wrote in my apartment in LA. Some of them I wrote in hotel rooms. Sometimes I would come up, I would write them all in one afternoon. Mermaid's song, I think was in one afternoon. Other songs like Same Mistakes, I wrote over the course of months. So I wrote the first part in a hotel in Vancouver, and then I wrote the second half in an Airbnb in LA, because at the time I wasn't living in LA. That one was one of the earlier songs. Some of them I wrote in voice memo, thinking I was going to throw them away. Soda Glass and Loser were both songs that I wanted to throw away that I thought these are silly. Because sometimes I do tend to write songs that are more like practice songs to get to the real song kind of thing. And I had assumed that Soda Glass and Loser were practice songs. Then when I played them for Ben, he was like, no, 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 no. We're not throwing Loser away like that one. And then once I listened to it with fresh ears, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And similar to Soda Glass, yeah. So when you perform these songs, so this was about an on and off relationship for four years, which I just like can feel the feelings of that. (laughs) Yeah. When you are producing this music and making this music and when you're performing it, do all of those feelings come back to you? How do you manage mm-hmm. that like from an emotional place? Well, one thing that's lucky about songs, like a lot of my old songs, I feel like you write them and then they you sing them <laughs> and they go out into the world and they sort of become their own thing. So a lot of songs, like I remember this song, Never Leave LA, and I wrote it about a very specific week and time in my life. And then the more I sang it, the more it sort of would become about something else. And I'm excited. I actually haven't sang a lot of these songs live, 
So I'm actually really looking forward to, it's very therapeutic to like, it's almost like when people will say, cry until you can't cry and then you'll get over it. Like rather than trying to not cry, just cry until you feel your feelings. Yeah. And then one day you'll be like, I'm bored of this. And I'm excited for these songs because I'm so over this relationship. (laughs) I'm excited for them to sort of like take on new life and to start to be about something else. And to attach new memories to them that have to do with performing them live. Like there's this one song, Julie, that was about a specific situation. The more I performed it live, the more it became. Now that song is like, oh, we got to do Julie because it gets everyone involved. And it becomes like the story becomes about something else. So I managed them, I guess, in just the way that like I let them change. Mm -hmm. I feel like that even as a music consumer of I'll, the first time I heard a song, I can remember kind of where I was and it will remind me of something. But then if I listen to that music yeah. a few years later on a yeah. road trip, then it will remind me of that. It kind of is like malleable and takes the shape of wherever you leave it. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why people relate to it because mm-hmm. they go, oh, this means this. Mm-hmm. And they attach it to their life. And that's what's like kind of special. Yeah. Is the person that you had the four-year relationship with, did you have a conversation? Do they know that you made this project? Um, They do know. I haven't, I mean, I actually saw him recently and he didn't say anything. And I felt a need, I don't have an interest in rehashing because like I said, it was a very on and off. I mean, huge portions off. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the record, there's a huge theme of imagination. And like even the song, Jonathan, I say, I trace his face, I color in his shoes. Like I'm drawing this person. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they weren't as involved. Yeah. And it was a more one-sided type of, you know, relationship. Yeah. So I don't have any interest in rehashing. So for that reason, I haven't reached out to say like, are you okay? You know, like, Mm -hmm. have you heard, is it cool? Like, don't mean any harm. You know, I would never want to create any sort of hurt. Yeah. But I also am trying to walk that fine line of like, yeah, but I also don't want to make a bigger deal. I mean, I've already made a bigger deal out of, you know, like I don't have any interest. I don't have any more questions. Mm -hmm. So it it wouldn't be for me. It would be for him. Mm -hmm. And since he doesn't reach out, I assume he's fine. Yeah. But you said you ran into him. Like, were you expecting Well, we have many mutual friends and I did see him and he didn't mention it. Yeah. And it would have been a perfect time to be like, oh. Oh, hey, you wrote an album about me. Like, oh, you named it. Oh, Jonathan. At some point when we were Is it his actual name? um, Yeah. At some point when we were talking more, he knew I was planning an EP. So I don't think it was like a total surprise, but we hadn't talked in quite a while since the discussion of like, oh, I'm like, I remember saying like, oh, I'm planning this EP. It's probably going to be a Jonathan. And he's like, oh, well, I've heard the song. Ha ha. Because he had seen me play the song Jonathan live. Mm-hmm. So I didn't I didn't get the feeling that it held a lot of weight to him. I mean, he wasn't like going like, no, no, don't do that. You know? Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the people that said to me, a song is a song is a song. And like, I believe that a song tells you more about the person who wrote it. Totally. So there are a few songs that maybe are more, I don't want to say they're mean because they're not meant to be mean. But if someone were to take them as being mean, I would say, well, that tells you more about me, not Mm -hmm. about him. Yeah. So that I don't always have perfectly kind thoughts. Yeah. You know? 
And dating, when people know what you do, I'm sure you get this question all the yeah. time. Do people say anything about that to you of like how, you know, your yeah. creativity, like yeah. you mine your life for your art? Is that a topic that you have to bring up when, when dating? I do. I remember my last boyfriend wasn't, I've realized that I am better in relationships where the other person is also a creative person, like artist. It doesn't mean they have to do it for the job, but probably. Or at least it's a, such a huge part that it's important, you know, a big part of their identity, being artistic and creative. Because when I haven't, like my last boyfriend, he would say, I don't understand this. Or he would say, why do you write so many songs about love or boyfriends or something? You know, and I would say, well, I don't just write songs about that, but those tend to be the good ones. Or, you know, like- well, they cause a lot I, of feelings. And those ones contain a lot of feelings. And I think it's one of the most, I mean, the f- favorite- movies and songs are about love. And I do think that that's one of the best parts of being human. Yeah. So relatable. Yeah. That's the thing I have something to say about Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And then my, my boyfriend now who I've been with for like a year, he is also a songwriter. So it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's fine. (laughs) How did you guys meet? We met through her BMI rep. Like BMI is kind of like ASCAP. Like it's like a songwriter's uh, union. Or not union, but they like collect money for songwriters and make sure you get paid for if your song's played on something. Or And they do a lot of these events. And I do a lot of these events for BMI. They'll do the Radio Broadcasters Mm -hmm. Awards in Illinois or something like that. So I did one of these events and he had asked me, we were just talking about like dating and whatever. And he asked me if I was seeing anyone. I said, yeah, no, I'm really happy being single. And he's like, well, there's someone I just saw last weekend for an event in Florida. And I just have this feeling about you guys. Can I introduce you? And I was like, sure, you know. So he introed us via text message. And then we didn't start dating right away at all. Because like I said, I was so not interested Mm -hmm. in dating. But a few months later we sort of, then we were at least connected and we were sort of like, you know, following each other on social media. And eventually we did finally talk and then, you know, it went from there. What's your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Greatest lesson. There's been several times I wish I, or not wish, but well, uh, moving on quicker. (laughs) Like once it's done all the wonderful, beautiful things, if it's not going to last, like I do feel like even sometimes you need, I don't know. I don't know what the lesson is. Maybe I'm still learning. Yeah. I think we all are until the end. Yeah, I definitely think it's better to be with someone who's really on the same page as you and someone who's really an equal to you. Whatever that means. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. Yeah. I, I, don't, I guess I don't have any advice on it. I don't know. I have dated a lot of people now. I mean, now I, when I think about it. But I also think a lot of that was so informative. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to totally. say like, oh, I wish I hadn't dated this person. Because like, I feel like there's something about the people that you date where you take the things they say and they hold more weight because they're your romantic. Mm-hmm. You have this intimate relationship. Yeah. So it's almost more than, unless it's like a really close long-time friend. I remember when I first moved to New York and kind of dating in New York, I would date older guys a lot. And now now I'm like, oh, I like dating people my own age. Because like I said, I like a real best friend and equal. But at the time, I didn't really know that. And dating someone older felt like they knew something that I didn't. And I remember taking their information and it sticking with me. 
And I think I learned a lot from the people that I dated, even if it didn't work out. Yeah, I think I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. And I feel like there's this great quote that, I forget who said this, but, and I believe this so much that no one is your friend, no one is your enemy, everyone's your teacher. Yeah. And I think like you said, with romantic relationships, that teaching holds a bit more weight than, you know, someone you meet in passing or yeah. your Lyft driver. And yeah. And even if it's something like you don't want to be like that, mm-hmm. you when you yeah. are their partner, you sort of take on how they do things. And then sometimes you go and then it doesn't work out. And then you go, you know what? That's not how I want to operate. Or you go, man, they always did this really well. And I'm going to take that with me. Yeah. And even though we're not together, I'm going to do that now. Yeah. You know, but yeah, for you take, yeah, it's like a buffet. You'd like take what you want, you leave the rest and it makes you who you are for the next person you're with. Yeah, you totally. Know, cumulatively. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's the record is so like, like that's the idea is like, there's some songs on there that aren't necessarily like what they're about is not about John or the relationship, but there's phrases that would end up in my lyrics that I would think to myself, that is something that he has told me. Like in popsicles, it's all about like how I feel stuck in this sort of adolescence. Cause it's like partly cause I like play teenagers all the time where well, I used to play teenagers and all the time, even though I was in my twenties and I, and I do sometimes feel like this, like when is the next season of life step, you know, mm-hmm. and it can almost be like frustrating at times or whatever. And, but there was, there's a line in there that's about like, he leaves before the traffic and I'm burning up again. And, and that's something that he used to say to me constantly, like, I got to leave before the traffic. So phrases. Stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's like people make an imprint on us, uh-huh. you know, certain people, most people. I want to talk about an app called Little Space. If you've been listening for a while or the last couple of weeks, you know about Little Space. It's an app that helps us unplug from technology and rewards us for doing so. It works really simply. All you do is download the free app and it helps you track your time spent unplugged from your device. And for every hour you spend unplugged, Lil Space is donating to a cause that you love. Right now through September, we have a Let It Out listener challenge with Lil Space where they're donating to an organization I love so much and I support at every chance that I get. It's called Real Girl. And I've had the founder on this podcast, Anea, and my friend Val used to work with them. And that's how I learned about them. She's also done the podcast. It's a wonderful organization that empowers young girls. They found out that girls' self-esteem peaks at the age of nine and then plummets. So it teaches them things about their period and body image and mean girls and domestic violence and feminism and all the things I've basically taught myself in my 20s. They're teaching young girls. It's the best. And I have a very complicated relationship to my phone and to social media. And Lil Space is an app that's really been helping me. I'm so grateful for their support. And I'd love it if you guys check them out. Go to getlilspace.com and give it a try. Let's talk about it in the listener Facebook group. And I just, I think you'll really enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you in part by a brand that I've been using 
and loving and I honestly think you guys will too. It's called Organifi and they make just a few products but the products they make they do really well and the founder Drew is also from Michigan. We've also become friends since he did the podcast and you know what? I really love these products. He makes green juice powders that are really easy to take on the go. They contain 11 superfoods blended into this 100% organic powder that actually tastes really good and has so many vitamins and minerals and antioxidants in it. It's helped me to knock on wood, not get sick, and help me feel really great. They also have a gold powder, which is like a turmeric product I've been having with some macadamia nut milk in the evening. I love their red powder, maybe best. I mix that one into my yogurt. I really enjoy their products, but my favorite is their probiotic. It has been amazing for my personal digestive health. It contains 10 potent strains of probiotics, and it's an an easy-to-take capsule, and I've taken a lot of probiotics, you guys, like a bunch of them. Name a probiotic, I've probably taken it, but this one is probably my favorite. I think you should check it out if you take probiotics. I think you'd like this one. So check out any of their products, Organifi, that's Organifi with an I-O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use the code let it out to receive 20% off your order. That's 20% off. And use the code let it out. Thank you, Organifi. Let it out, let it out, let it out. So you talked about the influences of your parents and what they were listening to. What are your big musical influences? Yeah. What you know, what do you listen to now? And uh-huh. you know, what did you listen to as a teenager? Yeah. It's such a mix. I love music. So I love like Pearl Jam and this band Frightened Rabbit is my all-time favorite band. It's a Scottish band. The singer actually just passed away this last year and I was like so so sad because it was like a band where I was like, oh, they're saying the exact same thing that I feel or like saying it in this like cool way. So that's one of my all-time favorite bands. But then I also love, like right now, I love Casey Musgraves and she's like a country singer and like completely different vibe than Frightened Rabbit. But one thing that's always is like, you know, a point of view and good specific lyrics. I generally like real instruments more than, but in my album, I used a ton of like cool program drums and like synthesizers and all the, you know, like couple little samples and stuff like that. So, but I like it, but I also like Kendrick Lamar and like, I don't know. I, I love everything. Eclectic music. Yeah. Yeah. I just like it. If it's, I do think lyrics are important to me, like Mm -hmm. just to kind of, yeah. Okay. These are kind of some questions that I ask everyone. They'll kind of be quick fiery, but take your time. What is your favorite part of your life right now? Being home. Well, where is home? Is home New York? um, No, actually, now it's LA. It was New York, and my or just something about being at my house and going grocery shopping and like the everyday stuff. Yeah, is my favorite. What advice would you give someone from a small town Mm -hmm. who you know you ten years ago or however many years ago who wanted to get into the entertainment industry, singing and acting? Don't wait unless I mean I just feel like everybody's so different you know you know but to just do it in any like if it's something that you want to do like even 
sometimes it's weird how we won't do the things we like to do. Like I remember one year, now this is just going by fast, you're going longer, but, but I remember one year making a resolution to sing every day, which maybe sounds silly, but it was because I realized I was doing a lot of time doing this hustling and stuff, but not actually practicing and not doing the thing that I actually like doing every day. And it was making me frustrated. So I was getting more done if I would just actually sing every day and write every day. So like, I think no matter where you are, even if you're in the small town and you can't quite move yet or whatever, I mean, I would say move as soon as possible, (laughs) but do the thing that you like to do in an everyday way. And as far as it being your career, you'll navigate that as it comes. But if you're already doing it every day, you'll be ready for the opportunities. And I think now it's so easy. Like I really, I'm not in the entertainment industry, but I relate so much to like not doing the thing you want to be doing because of essentially like admin stuff. Like I'll have a million things that I need to get done, but somehow I do nothing at all but I've sent like 50 emails and I've done, yes. you know, like that distracts the urgent work and the yeah. texts and all of the things coming at us now distract from the things I like creatively want to be doing. Yeah. And I feel like too, as much as I do love social media and it's been great for my music and like, it's a way for me to connect with fans. I could spend a lot of time on social media and be perceived to be very successful because I'm creating all this content but never write a, a song. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, How do you balance? That's another well, question I was going to ask. How do you balance yeah. social media and being a, a public person in your relationship yeah. with your phone? Like, How do you handle all of that? It's something that I'm still learning. I go through ups and downs with it. I don't want to look at it. But then when I don't, I know I should because I want to connect with fans. And I know that it's a big way for me to reach people. And I don't want them to miss information. But I also know that being a good songwriter happens when my mind is free to wander. And if there's tons of screens and Instagram and emails, my mind gets no space and doesn't get to wander. And I don't read books and I won't have anything from my fans on social media (laughs) new to listen to if I don't take the space. So I've tried to like set rules, but then it never really works. And then I more just try to like be conscious of like when I'm not being present with people and be like, okay, can I do that later? Yeah. Trying to find certain times a day to do it and then be done. Like, okay, I'm going to go on, you know, twice a day and post my stuff, comment on stuff and be done and then do it once more at night or something like that. Like I would love to just stick to that rule. (laughs) Yeah. I I talk about this every week on the podcast and somebody told me last week of like setting a timer just to like see your time on there. And then, you know, there's 30% of people on there consider themselves creators and then other people consider themselves consumers and trying to just stay in the 30% and not consume Mm -hmm. as much as I'm creating and yeah and that that has been helpful you know yeah especially like put leaving my phone at home it's just I would love that I've yeah left my phone at home yeah. and it's like oh this is awesome yeah yeah I love what you said about like you need to be bored to make content and to be yeah. creative and you need that space to read or to do yeah. other things or to live life and you know, I think in our society now with our phones, it's it's tough to be bored. You can always kind of be working. I think that bored is really important. I tried telling my little sister seven years younger than me. And one time she was saying how she wanted 
to write a book. And I said, this is what you need to do. You need to sit at home, dog go away, boyfriend or she is husband now, husband go away and like let yourself get super bored. Don't turn on Hulu. Just get really bored. Go for walks, make meals, but maybe that's it. Like, you know, like maybe read, but don't like watch TV. I don't know why, but for me, those are different in how it affects my ability to write. Yeah. Let yourself get super bored and then pass the boredom is the good stuff. <laughs> That's so good. Thank you. I mean, and this is what I try to tell my boyfriend too. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go write for two hours. I need a whole day. And maybe that's like too much. And maybe someday I'll figure out a way. Because people will be like, oh, once you have kids, you figure out how to write faster. And I'm like, okay, but I don't have kids yet. <laughs> and right now I need a whole day of nothing. To process. Yeah. Because I have to get bored first. And then I get to the thoughts that actually need to be said. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. The writer Elizabeth Gilbert says this thing where for the practice of writing where when she's not in that state and isn't able to get bored essentially and, and kind of just yeah. follow the pings and get into the flow where she just has to sit down at her computer and she's not allowed to do anything else. She's just allowed to either stare at it or write. Mm -hmm. And she sets a timer and has to do it. And so I think there are days when you kind of like try to force it like that. But yeah. I, I question, you know, it's not going to feel as good and the content might not be as yeah. genuine and yeah. excited as if you could kind of fall into it. Sometimes yeah. you can't force creativity. So that's another question I, I always ask is your greatest lesson on creativity. And that was a great one with yeah. your sister. I mean, I also think there's something about actually having something to say. Like you can plan a million writing sessions but if there's nothing, there's no story to tell and nothing to say, I mean, what are you writing about? You can write a million songs, yeah. Or like, you know how now that's like this whole thing where they're like, oh, I wrote like 200 songs for this album. I'm not saying that's bad. That's awesome that someone's able to to do that. And I do write a lot of songs. Like I said, throwaway songs. You know, it's like I have to write this song to get to the next song. So I understand that. But I also think it's good to have something to say because that will drive you also to like finish it, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be something like super clear, like, oh, I want to change this or say I'm angry about this or like, it doesn't have to be something super clear, but there just has to be some point of view, I guess. Yeah. Not general. Because I feel like we do hear a lot of songs on the radio that are general and don't have a point of view. And I I'm not saying my way is right, but I, th I think, I think having our point of view is important. Like you said, I think the more specific you are, specific. weirdly, the more relatable it is. Yeah. And that's because people can apply whatever meaning they want yeah. to the content that way. What has been something that's been the most challenging moment for you? That moment where you weren't sure if you wanted to keep going or something yeah. that was really challenging for you. I think that's always helpful for me to hear with people who are so successful of, you know, we've all had moments that have been really hard. I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like I've had a lot. <laughs> but I've also had a lot of good too. So I think with music, with acting, someone gives you a job. So you know that you are, it sort of legitimizes. You go like, aha, I got a job. So therefore I am going to get paid whether or not this show is a success. And someone hired me, so that means I'm good. So regardless of the actual success of the show, you sort of get a nice, like, boost of, like, this is the right thing for me to be doing. 
with music and with creating something, even if it's not music, if, if it's just your creation, a business, probably like a book or whatever, you are sort of the producer, the director, the everything. And there is a question of, do I keep doing this? Because there's no start and end date. You know, with acting, there is an end date and you leave set. And so even if it was a bad experience, it ends. But your thing could go on forever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I do think there's always, or you could do nothing and no one would know. I think there's just defining why you want it in your life. Yeah. How do you handle stress? Do you meditate? Are you in therapy? How do you yeah. relax? Do you, you obviously write yeah. and create. Do you journal? Like what are what are your kind of self-care yeah. routines? Um, it changes a lot. Like I do go to therapy. I didn't used to. And that helps a lot. Is it talk therapy? What kind of? Yeah. So I, let's see. I think it was between season three and season four of Walking Dead is when I, I was like, man, I feel off. I didn't, I didn't feel like myself. And it was like pretty extreme. I mean, the most extreme I've ever felt. It felt like I had to. It was less of like, oh, I want to. Now I do it more like, I'm like, oh, I'm stressed out about my parents. Or, you know, like yeah. I got in a fight with my sister. Now I'll go to therapy. Maintenance. Yeah, maintenance. But at the time, it wasn't maintenance. It was very much like, oh, something's got to change. Now, something that has really helped me is being really present and not looking too far ahead. I don't know why this is making me emotional. Oh, I love it. I mean, not that you're emotional, but I think that presence is so important. And I know for me, like, it's been a distraction. I mean, a way for yeah. me to distract myself from feelings is planning. Yeah, planning. So, And then I would say, it's like I'm telling you what to do. To, <laughs> like, no, yeah. I came just emotional today. I wish um, I had a tissue or something. I am too. I, I, cri- I cried last night in my bed. Maybe I like listen like, to a song, the moon or something. I'm yeah, not have sure. You ever noticed, I notice this more in New York in, than in LA, but where I would go, oh my God, everybody's happy today. Or you go and everybody's like sad or like crying on the subway or like, because in New York, you are so connected to everyone. Yes. Um, and in LA, like you don't, you could just stay in your house or your apartment and like not know. I mean, there's so much space. There's no like, even in your apartment in New York, you hear people, you hear the street, you're like, everyone's affecting you. But yeah, so maybe there's something in the air. I'm just like a little emotional. <laughs> Me too. Let it, um, let it out. I'm an actor and a songwriter. <laughs> yeah, that is the name of the show. So literally. Yeah. So, okay. So one thing that I do that has been very helpful, it is not for my physical shape, is running in the morning. And I find that if I go for a run, more so than yoga or any of those things, Something happens. I think you just get endorphins, basically. I have tried different things like Xanax, like different medications and stuff. But if you go for a run in the morning, like I literally feel so good all day. It lasts all day. So I recommend that for sure. What about in in therapy? What have you learned from therapy that has been helpful to you? Anything? Yes. I have learned... One of the things was kind of figuring out what are your habits as far as like in emotional stuff, you know, like, oh, if you're frustrated, maybe you get really, I mean, this isn't me, but but like as an example, like your habit is to like get angry at someone else or like blame it on someone or like figuring out like what you're, what you do. And you probably learned it from someone like your parents or, and it's not good or bad or whatever, but like maybe you learned how to deal with stress or different things 
as a child. So mm-hmm. you're not necessarily conscious of how you are just, you just go, I'm angry. But maybe that's just your way of dealing with something you're scared of or, you know, the other thing. So figuring out what your habits are and being aware and being like, oh, I could actually choose to do this instead. So making your reactions more choices. Then the other thing that has helped me the most is when I have a sad day that I don't need to investigate it. You know how if you get really excited about something, like you hear a great song and it makes you feel good and then time passes and that feel good feeling just kind of fades away and you don't think anything of it. The same thing can be like with sad things. You can feel sad and then when you get over it, get over it and let it go. And I think partly because of acting, to be honest, I was, when I would feel sad, hold on to it and go, why do I feel that way? And investigate it. And well, maybe this caused it, you know, and like, and then I'd feel guilty for feeling sad. Oh, my life's so great. Blah, blah, why do I feel sad? You know, and it, I, it just spiral. And here we are on earth and we're all going to die. And you know what I mean? Like, totally. like, like it just, you know, I couldn't get out of the investigation part. And I mean, think about when you're on set and you have one sad scene all day and you have to keep doing it over and over. Your natural body reaction is to get over. Like once you cry, you know how then you feel better and you recover. But I was training myself to go back into it again and again and again and again. So I think there was a part of me that was starting to, when I would feel sad in real life, investigate and stay. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And even now I just like let things go more. Like even whether I'm happy, sad, whatever, just like you feel it and then move on. Like let it like, oh, I'm having a sad day. Just the way you'd have a day when you're more tired or you'd have a day when you're really happy. You have that day and you, and you're like, it's a sad day, but it doesn't have to hold more weight. Right. Unless there's truly something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really were sad about something specific, it can just be a sad day. Yeah. That hit me hard. That is like so helpful. Oh, thank I you. Think, I think. <laughs> thank my therapist. Yeah. Yeah. We're, she was like, you can just have, be sad some days. You don't have to like. <laughs> yeah. We're also in a very like therapist office right yeah, now. Are, like kinda. this is like the perfect <laughs> setup of a, we're not actually in the therapist office, but I feel like I'm in the therapist seat, but we should be switching yeah. because that was like very helpful uh. information. <laughs> I love that because that distinction that you made of like, when you're feeling really happy, you don't really care and investigate why. But when it, when you're sad, we like go in it and in it and in it, especially as an artist, I can see that being a spiral that could be maybe positive for your work, but negative for your mental health and sanity and relationships and general life. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So what have you been thinking about pondering, realizing, learning lately, like in the last today or this week or month? What's been on your mind? There's definitely been this change I've been realizing. It was my birthday last week and I think it always comes mid-year-ish. What's up? Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Where it's almost like, you know, there's New Year's and then there's like August is, I mean, July is actually mid-year, but I always think of it as sort of like, oh, I like reassess like goals or like I love making lists and to-do lists and whatever it makes me feel like productive same yeah but I've been noticing a shift where I feel like it's harder for me to look like 10 years ahead or five years ahead and it's like writing (laughs) writing things that are rather than writing lists of like things I want writing lists of things I'm like happy about I love that. No, I mean it goes back to being like present. Yeah. It's you're 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 talking about the same thing that, yeah. that you were talking about before of being present is feeling 
best to you. And that's really, it's really beautiful. I would, I would, no, if I was a real therapist, I would have a, I would have a, this is like a therapy session. Well, this is good. Well, the, somebody well, told like, me a good interview. It feels yeah. like therapy. So, cause I think there is a moment where you're like, Oh, I actually just like things. Like, I feel like there is a thing with like social media and like our world now where it's like, Oh, you want a million things, but like, but also maybe you just want what you already have. Mm-hmm. And you're missing what you already have when we're focusing on the list of what we want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving this so much. (laughs) Okay, we always talk about body image and like being a woman in the world. And as someone who works in entertainment and in the age of social media, we're all kind of feeling like we're being seen. Yeah. What do you, you know, this this connects with mental health as well. I usually frame the question this way. When you're having a, what I call a bad body image moment, you're not feeling great about yourself for whatever reason. What do you do to shift out of that? Or have you ever struggled with? Yeah, definitely. I mean, being an actor, there is like a constant, like if I'm going to work, it's not like, oh, I'm like hiding in my cubicle. There's like literally a camera on my face, you know? (laughs) So it's not like, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling good about myself today. Whatever. I'll just like sit over here and do my work. It's like the work is like in front of people. So I don't know. I feel like, again, it comes, I mean, it's like this, I don't know why this keeps coming up for me, but like this idea of like being thankful for what you have. So I think there's something about being thankful for that everything works properly and being thankful for what you have. like That you can run. That you can run. I, I do think that exercise, not that I think people should worry it, like as that a way to like, like oh, I'm going to exercise and it's going to make me have control over how I look because like you're still going to change and grow older and your body's going to change whether you – but I do think there's something about – physically moving your body that makes you more appreciative of it and doing yoga and things like that. And if you can get away from, it does make you look better, but you can also look at it as, it's not that it just makes me look better. It's that it makes me stronger. And it is something I have like this tiny bit of, I can just go for a run every day and it makes me feel better, look better. So if you feel bad about yourself, I do think that doing something physical makes you appreciative of your physical Mm -hmm. body. It makes you more aware of it too. You know, I I live so much in my head that, you know, my therapist told me recently, she was like, you think your feelings, you don't feel them. And being in my body when I go to a class or I'm doing something, even walking down the street, like you're aware of how you're feeling and where you're feeling your feelings. And it, I don't know, I think it's, it's useful. Also, like it takes all different kinds of people that's one thing I tell myself as an actor and maybe if other people are like in performance or in where people are looking at them a lot. One thing I've always been like, oh, I'm starting to get wrinkles. Should I get Botox? Should I do this? Should I do that? Whatever. And then I'm like, but I want to play all different kinds of people. Like I don't want to just play someone who's perfect. In fact, that's the exact opposite of kind of mm-hmm. people that I want to play. I want I want to play like a mom and I am now, you know, I want to play a grandma when I'm old. I want to play, you know what I mean? And I don't want to play a grandma who's had tons of plastic surgery. I want to play right. like a real grandma. Right. You know? <laughs> like, right. And it takes all, there's all kinds of stories to tell and there's not one way to look. Yeah. And there's not one kind of story. So how you look is special, even if it's not like something that you like, you know? Yeah. It takes also, all types. Yes. <laughs> okay, these ones will actually be kind of quicker. Okay. So just say the first thing that comes to mind. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. 
Well, it was my birthday, so I had a sprinkles cupcake. That was pretty good. <laughs> nice. What's your favorite favorite place or favorite places, favorite parts of being in New York? I'm really excited to go to this restaurant, Hungawai. Where's Hungawai. that? It's like a vegan restaurant on like 31st. That's oh, like cool. so good. And you sit on the floor and it's like oh. just really yummy, kind of Asian inspired. Cool. Okay, so I, that's like go. one of my favorite places that I'm happiest still like open. I also really like Central Park and it was really fun to go to McCarran Park in like Brooklyn area because that's where I like used to live. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess cool. those are the spots. Greatest lesson on friendship? Realizing people who have known you for so long is really mm-hmm. special. So like people that knew you, you know, like when I first moved to New York, 1920, that are still my friends is that's like, there's something about sticking with people for a long time. That's really special. Yeah. Greatest lesson on family? Mm, unconditional love. Mm. They have unconditional love for you. What's a place that you've traveled to that you love and somewhere that you haven't been that you want to go? I went to Tokyo for the first time and I loved it. I'm dying to go to Japan. That's like next it's on weird, my list. I never wanted to necessarily go, but I got the opportunity. And then I went and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about it? We went to like this Buddhist temple and did a drum ceremony and like did this whole like ritual of like kind of like prayers for people. And I thought that was really cool. cool. And then I went to this cool market, Sapporo market. And then I went, I mean, I just loved it. I love the culture. Everything feels really quiet, even though it's a big city. I just like it. Cool. Places I haven't been. I, I've always wanted to go like the Amalfi Coast, like the Grecian Islands and that area. One of my favorite books takes place there. And so I've always just like pictured it in my head. What's the book? Beautiful Ruins. Well, it doesn't take place there the whole time. Have you read that book? Mm-mm. It's about this. It spans a bunch of different like time periods and locations, but that's kind of where it starts. And I think it's like a fictional island, but it's supposed to be in that, that group. And so then I've always sort of just been like, oh, I want to see this place that I've like pictured in my head so many mm-hmm. times. What's your greatest lesson about spirituality, God? What do you think happens when we die? Where are you with all that? How did you grow up with that? Yeah. Well, I grew up Catholic. Me too. And, yeah. Catholic and um, <laughs> I don't really go to church, but I've gone through ups and downs with it. Regardless, though, I have found that I love praying. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens. That's where I'm at. <laughs> but... I do think we are small in the big whole universe and I think praying is important. Mm, yeah. What are you most excited about looking forward to? I think this week's going to be really fun to like promote this album just because I've been working on it for three years. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to like singing tomorrow and I'm honestly looking forward to to seeing my boyfriend. <laughs> he gets here yeah. tomorrow. If you had to tell people in one sentence about or however many sentences you want yeah. about this album, what would you say? I don't know. Just it's worth a listen. From beginning yeah. to end. <laughs> yeah. From beginning well, congratulations to end. on working on something for, for that long and putting <laughs> yeah. that in the world. That's Thank no you. small feat. And that's really exciting. And I'm so excited to listen to it. Oh, and good. You're a delight. And Thank this you. is amazing. Okay. So this, this is the second to last question, but it's really just a way to recommend things. So I yeah. frame it this way. You're on a deserted island and you can bring with you one book, one piece of music, one movie, one TV show, one podcast, okay. one food. So really just like whatever you want to recommend. It could be in, you know, if whatever else you want to put in that suitcase. So it could be like a, a beauty item or a skincare item or an okay. outfit. Like All what right. are things that you're loving that you want to recommend to people? Okay. I just read my year of rest and relaxation. Have you heard of this mm. book? It's so good. So that one. Is it a new book? 
It's very new. I think okay. it just came out like a month ago. My okay. Year of Rest and Relaxation. I'm going to look it's that up. It's a pink book. I forget who it's by. I'll, but I read we'll about in the her in The New Yorker and then I read the book and then it was, it was fantastic. Great. Okay. that's. You'll re- like I read it in like book. a day and a half. Great. Actually, yeah. I feel like you'll love it. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> great. It's a little bizarre, but great. And it takes place in New York. I mean, great. Yeah. That checks a lot of boxes for me. (laughs) Uh, Then I would say if you haven't listened to it, the Casey Musgraves album from beginning to end is like the best thing ever. Even if you don't like country, because I'm not like necessarily country, but awesome. Also, Donovan Woods is like an Americana singer. He's incredible. Also, Paul McDonald's, my boyfriend's new album, Modern Hearts, is crazy good. I'm all like really music. I'm a music fan. Great. Those are three new albums that just came out in the last like few months that are like take them with you on the island and listen to them. Cool. I'm trying to think what else. I love that show Unreal. Oh, I haven't seen it. Do you have a favorite movie? It changes. For some reason, I've been thinking a lot about that movie Kramer versus Kramer. It's really old, but Mm -hmm. for some reason, it's been on my mind. The Mr. Rogers documentary. Oh, I loved it. So good. Yeah, I just like, it's so good. I, I feel like that's definitely the one you should take with you on the desert yeah. island. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's enough things. I'm really into jean jackets right now. <laughs> They're great. And we could use a couple in this room because yeah. it's freezing. And <laughs> our therapist's office. thinking of jackets. Yeah. Cold. Yeah, my feet are like <laughs> dying. Like, why are you wanting to recommend I know. Wear? I know. <laughs> Favorite food or like last meal food other than the uh, hot chocolate and like anything warm right now? <laughs> yeah, I love actually ice cream. I'm mm. such a sucker for Jenny's ice cream. Oh, it's so good. It's Midwestern. She's from is, Columbus. Is it? Yeah. Maybe that's it's why I love it. From I, Ohio. I discovered it in Nashville. So yeah. Yeah, the almond butter brittle or whatever. I haven't had that. Oh flavor. my God. It's so good. I, I'm obsessed. And then I also like mint chip ice cream. I love ice cream. So that. I also really love Annie's mac and cheese, box mac and cheese, which I know they say is bad for you, the powdered cheese, but I love it. It's it's really good. It's really, I love that Annie's one too. Okay. So this podcast is called Let It Out. Okay. So when I offer that to you to let it out, what does, what does that mean to you? And is there anything that you feel like you haven't let out that you still want to, or that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? I feel like I let out a lot of emotions to, to <laughs> on the this podcast. Um, but oh, what it means to me, I guess, is like the immediate thing I think of is writing and like letting out like your side of the story. And like, I do feel like having a project where you can create something, whether it's a song, whether the project is building a room, like my friend just built a studio and, and I was thinking, how nice that must have been to have a project Mm -hmm. where it was so clear, like, I'm going to build this to you and then I have to paint it and then I have to do, you know, like to have a project, I think is probably one of the best things you can do for yourself. Yeah. There's this person who told me this story about how she was in a cab in London and the people who drive cabs in London, like know all these facts about the city. And the cab driver was saying that, his friend is the person who gives the queen the black box in the morning that has like everything that the country needs her to do. Oh. And he asked her like, when, when will you retire? When will you stop? And he, she was like, I never will because I need to have this to have purpose. And that's what keeps me alive. And so I think like you're saying, having a project is what keeps us going. I feel like life kind of hard things have more meaning when you can channel it into something. 
Yes. Do you ever journal? Like I wrote this book about journaling. Is that something, I mean, you're writing for your music, but do you ever process things that way? Yeah, I do. I used to do, when I first found out that I was getting killed off Walking Dead, I wouldn't say I like freaked out, but I definitely was like, man, I've had this job for four years. What now? And I got all these books (laughs) about creativity and all this stuff. And I read The Artist's Way. Yeah. And it's about, you start your day with three. And I was, now I'm a little more like loose about it. I don't always write three pages a day. But at the time, I have crazy journals from when I first left Walking Dead. It was just, I would write down every thought in my head and was very intense about every morning drinking. I would, you know, start to make my coffee and the three pages very intense about it probably for the next year, no matter where I was. You know, I was also traveling a lot because right after Walking Dead, I got all these opportunities to do conventions and this and that. So I was on like weird time schedules and I'd be like, nope, doesn't matter. First thing in the morning, three pages. It's nice to have that routine. The first tool in my book is called the morning dump, which is like a, yeah, like sounds like poop, but it's really a like version of the artist ways morning yeah. pages because it is dumping your mind from, yeah. you know, it's, it's a helpful, helpful practice. I've gone through yeah. in times of doing it and coming back to it. And it's yeah. always, it's good when you feel really like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like I think when you are traveling mm-hmm. or like if you have a lot of projects, I remember actually this kind of does have to do with my album. One of the first times Jonathan and I broke up <laughs> <laughs> was because I was doing these morning pages and I would, I started realizing Every day I was complaining mm. about him. Yeah. And I was going, why am I putting myself through like, you know, it's like before I don't think I was conscious of it, that it was like causing me any pain. But every morning I was writing about it. And so I, I was like, I don't want to keep writing this every day. I, at some point, like I had already stopped writing about, oh, I'm sad. I'm leaving Walking Dead. You know what I mean? Like, like I was quickly moving on You had skimmed the pond scum <laughs> But from I was that. like still yeah. saying I was sad about this thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, at some point I need to, you realize what you're writing every day. Yeah. You realize what you're thinking every morning. You can see patterns. That's what I say in the book about journaling. Oh, it's like yeah. it, it, it helps you, or for me, like I don't really know what I'm thinking unless I'm writing where I'm able to see these things. And when I did the research for the book, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. Wow. But a lot of them are repeat thoughts and we're thinking them unconsciously, like on autopilot. Uh-huh. So when you're journaling, you take inventory of yeah. what those thoughts are and you can sort through them and decide which ones are true and which ones you are ready to move on from. And yeah. it's helpful. That's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so we end with a deep breath. It's kind of, oh, okay. kind of silly, it. but <laughs> so, and then everyone listening can can take a deep breath or they're driving or walking or folding laundry and listening to this. So, okay. okay. So inhale, <sighs> let it out. Feels good, right? It always feels totally a little better after good. that. Yeah. <laughs> great. Thank you so much for Thank letting you. it out and doing the podcast. It was <laughs> so course. nice to meet you. This Thank great. you. All right. That was my episode with Emily Kenny. Check out her album. Check out everything she does. She's a delight. It was lovely to meet her, and I'm so happy that she got to do the podcast, and I'm really happy with this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it, too. If you did, if anything in it resonated with you, share it. Share it on social media. Tag me. Tag Emily. 
Let us know that you're listening. And I'm going to give an emoji at the very end of this episode that you can send her way and my way to let you know you got to the very end. But first, I want to remind you about the events that I'm doing here on the East Coast. I would love to see you in New York on the 19th with Kelsey Patel or also, or yeah, maybe both in DC on the 21st. That'd be really cool. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, like I said, share it on social media, but also just share it with a friend. Share it in a text or an email. It's really easy to do that on iTunes. And if you wanted to leave a review, that would be so cool of you. You can just do that on iTunes. It's so helpful. If you've been listening for a while and you haven't left a review and you've thought about it, just maybe just like do it this week. That'd be so cool. I would love it. So helpful. And make sure you're subscribed because again, we're going on a break and there's going to be new things coming up. So much new stuff coming up from me actually. Let it out. It's going to be changing and growing and shifting and subscribe so you know what's up. I love you guys. I'm so grateful that you're here all the way to the end. Again, next week, it's going to be a really different special episode. I don't even know what it's going to be, but it's going to be different and special. I kind of know it's going to be. I have notes about what it's going to be. But if you want to be something specific, if you have a question, maybe I can answer it. Send it my way. Let me know on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dalebout, and the emoji for this week's episode is the ice cream cone. The really cute cone. It's vanilla. You guys know that emoji. You probably love that emoji. Emily loves ice cream. I love ice cream. It's the end of the summer. It's probably one of the cutest foods, much less emojis. So again, I'm talking the one in the cone. This is not the dish that has like three round scoops. We're talking soft served. So make sure you tweet that emoji at Emily and at myself and comment that on our Instagrams to let us know you're all the way to the very end of me rambling in this outro. I'll talk to you guys next week. Love you. Bye.